Hi, I'm Joanna Barron. And I'm Leslie Gray. Welcome to the Love and Dividends podcast, where women get smart about money. We'll share interviews and conversations about optimizing your finances, getting started with investing, and building wealth. And today we're chatting with Sandy Young. Sandy is a longtime investor and personal finance author who generated a six-figure investment portfolio by age 27. Since then, she's been an avid real estate investor and owns several Canadian income properties. She's also a professional speaker who specializes in teaching female millennials how to invest in the stock market and in real estate. And this year, Sandy published her book, The Money Master, Inside Secrets on How to Make Your Money Grow and Stay Safe. So today, that money master tells us about using dollar cost averaging to take emotion out of investing, which is something I need, real estate investing for long-term, but not necessarily passive profit, women handing off financial responsibilities, even though statistics would suggest that they'll outlive their partners, and recovering from this economy crash in 2009, uh, and the lessons that she learned about the opportunity might provide for what's happening right now. Enjoy our conversation. Welcome, Sandy, to our podcast. Thank you. Welcome to Love and Dividends. It's good to have a money master with us. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So, uh, riffing on that, Money Master, which is the title of your book, which has it come out yet or is it still to be released? Uh, it just came out a few months ago, so I'm really excited. Uh, I just had a book launch right before this whole entire COVID pandemic happened. So I was very fortunate to have um, quite a big gathering, like over 100 people came out. Uh, we had a Joey Eaton Center downtown and um, had a panel of speakers and did a book signing and everything. So it was yeah, really exciting to have. Awesome. So can you tell us a bit about your background and uh, how you came to um, become a self-directed investor and so passionate about personal finance that you came to even write a book about it? Sure. Yeah. So for your listeners who may not know me, uh, for myself, I went to Ryerson University and I actually graduated during the economic recession back in 2009. So um, I had quite a bit of a challenge to find work after graduating from business school, but I was fortunate to land a job in the corporate world. And I knew that in my 20s that I needed to start saving money for major life milestones that we go through, whether it was saving up for a car or a down payment on a house or even having my dream wedding, things like that. I, I wanted to be able to set aside money for those particular savings goals. And my friends were talking about investing and I didn't know too much about it. So, of course, like a lot of people, I went to one of the big banks and one of the financial reps sold me high risk, high fee mutual funds, which I didn't know. Uh, I didn't have a clue at all. And I um, hate those. Yeah. <laughs> and on the pod. It wasn't diversified at all. <laughs> um, it was crazy. And I just thought I was doing well, but. Not too too long afterwards, I ended up losing thousands of dollars. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so frustrating. And so that's when I decided to take matters into my own hands and learn how to invest 
my money properly. And that's when I became a self-directed investor with an online brokerage. And I was fortunate enough to um, be able to build those habits and create a six-figure portfolio by the age of 27. And so uh, from there, like I, I still felt like it was a very lonely journey because a lot of people feel like talking about money is very taboo. And, and that's where I wanted to be able to find a platform where I can educate people, um, especially for female millennials who, um, you know, are very ambitious, but may not have the confidence or they may not feel empowered. And that's where I wanted to step in to write a book and share my experience, my research and, and expertise to help um, other female millennials to create their own six figures through investing. Amazing. Yeah, yeah we that's we love all of that. Your music to our ears. Um, but what we especially <laughs> want to dive into with you is the money masters that we know that in addition to you being an equity investor, you're also a real estate investor, which I have to be honest, I know very little about. So how did you get into the real estate market at such a young age? And have you found it to be profitable? Yeah, so because I was able to master the investing side of uh, the stock market, um, it wasn't until I met my now husband uh, in my late 20s, and he uh, learned about real estate investing um, with his family. And so he kind of took me under his wings and taught me how to become um, a landlord and to be able to take care of our tenants. Uh, we do have a condo um, in the eastern downtown area of Toronto, and then another one in North York. And so we share the responsibilities of uh, being a landlord, whether it comes to screening applicants, to make sure that they're reliable, uh, managing like the maintenance. Like we have some crazy horror stories about things breaking down, like our the condo unit flooding, um, tenants just kind of abruptly leaving um, because of a family death to even secretly subletting our unit on Airbnb. So you have all these like crazy stories and uh, it's very interesting to see how you can make money both by being um, invested in the stock market and real estate. But I would say real estate definitely is more hands-on and um, uh, requires you know, more, I guess, yeah, more of a hands-on approach and being active. And it's also less liquidable because if you need cash in a pinch, you can't just sell your condo unit uh, tomorrow, whereas in the stock market, it's a bit more liquidable. So, yeah, interesting to see the contrast. Um, and that's interesting. But again, to circle back, have you found overall it's perhaps more profitable than the stock market? Or is it just another way to sort of get that diversity into your portfolio? Hmm, interesting. Well, I would say that. I would say that in the stock market, if you wanted to make a quick buck, not that I encourage anyone to do so, you can. Um, but of course, I definitely go by the philosophy of having a long-term investing approach. Whereas real estate, again, it's more of a, a long-term vision for my husband and I, because when you buy a property, like you've got a mortgage to pay off and, and for a good number of years, even decades, your tenant is helping to pay down your mortgage. So you may not really see a profit um, anytime in the near future, but once your mortgage is paid off, then 
that's where things open up and you have more, I guess, profit coming in, but that's definitely a long-term game. Yeah, totally. And I guess one of the things that really um, came out from your description of what it's like to sort of manage properties and manage tenants is people tend to think of rental income as quote unquote, the coveted passive income, everybody wants money coming in and they just chill on the couch. Um, but it sounds like that's not really realistic when you have tenants to deal with and their personal circumstances. Um, and, uh, you know, and potentially property damage to deal with. Um, so it doesn't seem like it's really apt to call it a passive investment. Um, not necessarily. I mean, unless you have really good tenants, you know, if you're lucky enough to find reliable yeah. tenants, they're responsible, they don't do any property damage or whatnot. And maybe even if you hire a property uh, management company, you can, you can kind of offload some of that work to them and you're willing to pay part of uh, a fee for that, then it can be easier. You can always hire outsource other Yeah, totally. Um, so I also noticed in your bio that you have some shout outs to some notable financial role models um, who I'm a fan of as well, especially Ray Dalio. I read his book uh, Principles this summer and thought it was amazing. And he's also into transcendental meditation, which is uh, which is my jam, um, but also Warren Buffett and Tony Robbins. Um, so can you talk about what you've sort of distilled from um, these financial role models and what you've adopted into your own uh, wealth building? Yes, um, definitely. I mean, I've been following all three of them. That uh, Ray Dalio's book um, is on my reading list. And um, I think I'm the biggest fan of Warren Buffett just because I love his quotes. Um, a recent quote of his that I came across is price is what you pay value is what you get and I just mm. love that because it speaks to him being a value investor and um, sometimes people just focus so much about getting the lowest price or timing the market but for him he's saying it's it's important to find good quality companies that will stand the test of time and I find that they all um, have a thing, one thing in common, and that is that they recommend having a long-term passive investing approach whereby you can invest in low-fee index funds or ETFs known as exchange-traded funds, where you not only invest in one market or one country, but you look at everything from a global perspective and put your eggs in many baskets. So. And another thing is that so Warren Buffett usually has his annual general meeting in early May. And my husband and I were so excited. We were planning a trip to go down to uh, Omaha, Nebraska. And I guess for Berkshire Hathaway. Have, yes. have you guys gone before? I'm, I'm always so We've curious never, as what that's actually yeah, like. Yeah, I want to go so badly. I want to go. Yeah. <laughs> we're I've been going. Investing Take the podcast on the road. <laughs> <laughs> right? I, yeah, I've been investing in Berkshire Hathaway for um, probably at least five years now. Um, and then I don't know anyone personally who's been, but we watched his documentary. I think it was on HBO. Uh, and it was just like amazing just to hear about I his love that documentary. Yep, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so that's when we were like, okay, let's go. But of course, this whole pandemic came around and he had to cancel uh, the big, I guess, AGM. And so they're just going to stream it uh, online instead, so, which is not really the same. <laughs> but yeah. Is it kind of just like the sort of quality of people you meet when you go somewhere like that? Or is it just like the amount of Lamborghinis you get to see? Like, have you heard anything about what the Berkshire Hathaway AGM is like? Uh, only from what I've seen, like through his documentary. Um, yeah, what I've seen online or just reading blogs. But um, I think, yeah, it'd just be more so the networking opportunity and just to meet fellow investors i mean i think it was supposed to be forty thousand people like all over the world and when do you ever really get that type of opportunity so that's what i was kind of interested in doing and we were going to take our car and do a whole entire road trip and pass by chicago and everything so um but yeah unfortunately that's not going to happen this year so <laughs> maybe next year we'll cross our fingers yeah totally so uh a lot of people talk about technical approaches to investing. Everybody knows buy low, sell high, but you can you hear from day traders who have all of these complicated strategies. It becomes very algorithmic. Um, but one of your strategies that you spoke about that seemed to me to make a lot of sense is just called dollar cost averaging investing. Um, can so can you talk about what that is? Sure. Yeah, so with dollar cost averaging, it's really great because if you find that if you are maybe just starting out to invest in the stock market and you're trying to get your feet wet, or maybe um, you're the type of investor who tries to time the market, because uh, I have friends and colleagues who say to me time and time again, they'll be like, oh, Sandy, is this a good time to buy such and such company or fund? Oh, maybe I should wait. Maybe the recession is going to get worse, or maybe we'll go into a depression. And then all these thoughts really hinder their potential of making um, and going their investments. And so this is where dollar cost averaging can really benefit um, investors because it takes the emotional aspects out of it. And how it works is that, say, if you have a lump sum of money, um, let's just say you've got $5,000, and instead of investing that lump sum of money one time, like say today, um, what you can do is that you can split it out into say $1,000 increments over the next five months. So every month, say the first of every month, you, you invest $1,000 and it does not matter what the share price is, you're going to invest that $1,000 for the next five months. And so it just takes the guesswork out of things uh, and it just prevents you to, um, prevents you from trying to time the market and helps you control your emotions. Uh, Sandy, so I feel like intellectually, like you're speaking to me exactly because intellectually I know it's not about the timing the market, it's the time you have in the market, but mm -hmm, I am nice. completely guilty of what you're talking about. Whereas even right now <laughs> I'm like, I, I'll just hold on to it. We don't know where the bottom is. I'll wait for the bottom. So do you like would that be would would monthly be what you'd sort of recommend would it be weekly I know it probably depends on different people but is that sort of how you because I like your idea of take emotion out of it which I'm trying to do but you know I know it's hard it's re really is hard I mean the, the it's a fact we're all human so emotions are going to come into play no matter what and 
and it is really hard to be self-disciplined like that's I think the emotion part of it and the psychology behind behind investing is what makes or break like whether you're a successful investor or not and even for myself like to be honest like I still struggle with this too um and so that's why like in the past few months I've used dollar cost averaging like I had a um a cash cushion and set aside and so once I saw the markets going down I was like I was so excited I was like a kid in the candy store and I started investing it was like it was the market dropped 10% I was like okay I'm going to invest some money and then it went down to negative 20%. I was like, okay, I'm going to put more money. And then it was like negative 30. And I was like, oh my God, I'm running out of money, but I still have a little bit <laughs> left over. But then, yeah, you like I've gone through that guilt and shame. And I'm like, well, I should have just waited until it went down to 30%. But then I had to remind myself, hey, like Sandy, how are you ever going to predict that the market was going to drop in the negative 30s? Like no one would have known. And now it's bounced back up, I think, into the teens. So it's, it's, um, that's where I just try to like write it down or put it in my calendar and I set a reminder and that way I try to stick to a plan or even just goal setting, like writing down, like, this is my plan. You can share it with a friend or maybe um, a significant other. And then that way you can help, um, you know, keep each other on track of your goal. Fantastic. I love a calendar reminder. So I like that tip. Um, one of the things we both noticed is that you dedicated a whole chapter in your book, The Money Master, to women. So what is it about women um, that you are finding unique and notable when it comes to money that you, you know, sort of wanted to speak to in your book? Yes, it's funny because whenever I talk about personal finance, I find that in the past, like even when I was in my book writing stage, I found that men gravitated Toward, like gravitated toward these personal finance and money conversations. And I would reflect back and I'd be like, why are men interested in talking to me about money, but why not more women? Is it because women don't feel confident or like maybe they're timid about it? And so that's where I wanted to have my book to have these conversations and for women to have these dialogues with their uh, family or significant other because studies show that wives tend to hand off the personal finance responsibilities to their husbands. And statistics show that women um, or wives will outlive their husbands more often. And so if you are in a relationship where you're leaving your husband to take care of the, your finances and statistics show that he will pass away before you, we see that women um, in their senior years, they're, they're heartbroken, like they're emotional dealing with their spouse pass, passing away. And then they have to scramble to pick up the pieces and learn personal finance um, in their golden years, which is tough. Um, not only that, but women, we know, tend to earn less than men, but because we live longer, we it's all the more reason to start investing as early as possible so we can kind of make up for that. Um, and also women actually make better investors than men do because we're disciplined and we can stick to a plan and we don't tend to chase after hot stock. Cause I think for men, it's always about the chase. It's like, what's next, what's next, what's the hottest thing. But for women, um, studies also show that we're, we can actually stick to a plan and not go off track. 
Yeah. Awesome. I love that. Yeah, it's so true. And that was part of the sort of initial impetus Leslie and I had for starting this podcast is that we noticed that just all this all these conversations around stocks and getting rich it's, it seems to be men that do it and we had never heard of a group of women that just hang out and talk about their money and so it really is just like a cultural shift that needs to happen and we know that the gender investing gap is even more egregious than the gender wage gap um so i really think this has to be a sort of bottom up effort that there's something about the world of finance probably because it's been governed by men since the beginning of modern times since the mm-hmm. invention of currency um that somehow has not resonated with women and women feel like we're we're excluded from that space on the whole obviously there are uh there are exceptions but i hope that in a few years we'll reconvene and you'll be able to talk about female financial role models and women who have written books and maybe maybe the money master book will will be will be that book for a younger woman in 10 years. Yes, I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh we'll touch on the elephant in the room. We are in a global pandemic. We're all uh on Zoom calls from home. The markets are crashing. Um and so what's your advice to sort of younger investors, people starting out, anybody who is just flummoxed as to what what to do with their financial position if they should keep investing um during this period? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say that um you know I I've, I've been in that situation before like right when I graduated um if I think it took probably a few years for our economy to recover back in 2008-2009. And so it was a scary time because back then my father was helping me with my investments. Um again back then I had mutual funds, but hey, like better better having invested something rather than it sitting in cash, but um I would say that we need to remind ourselves that this pandemic even though we're kind of in this whole I guess kind of going through the worst of it and we're waiting to get to the other side that this is temporary and this too shall pass um meaning that when we look at the history of the stock market uh humans have faced various types of diseases and viruses uh economic crashes but we've always been able to recover and bounce back and so if we kind of look at history history doesn't necessarily guarantee what will happen in the future but because the history shows that stock markets have been able to recover uh we should be able to have that peace of mind that right now you can look at it as a great opportunity to buy stocks um and companies at a discounted price that will be able to bring you a lot of value over the course of time and so try not to get your emotions to to have your emotions get a hold of you i know it's tough uh but just to be able to practice that and um yeah and know that we'll be able to to get on to the other side and and 2020 um you know hindsight's always 2020 and a few years, few years from now we'll look back and we'll be like oh gosh should have invested during the 2020 year so you know take advantage of it now while you while you can Uh and is there anything that you're doing differently in terms of managing your money or investments um is there any sort of material way in which the current situation has changed 
your own practice? Um, not too much, I would say. Um, I would, for me, I've just popped up more so my emergency savings fund, just to make sure that, you know, God forbid, if um, I were to lose my job, or if my husband were to lose his job, that we would have that um, emergency fund in cash, where we can just take money out from the bank if we need to. So just kind of yeah, having an extra buffer in our emergency fund, that's kind of our priority, but we're consistently trying to save money to invest into the stock market. And so, um, you know, we make sure that for our paychecks, when we get paid out biweekly, that we automate it um, through our online banking account. And we take a certain amount of money that goes from our checkings account and then direct it over to our savings. And then eventually I move that money from my savings over to my investment account. Awesome. Stay the course. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and I honestly can't hear enough to like stay calm. It's all going to work out. Like, I feel like that is a prevalent message, but I think we need it more and more uh, to be tied in because there's also seemingly every day a bit of bad news and it's such a tough time. So I, I, I appreciate hearing that from a money master. <laughs> Yes, definitely. Um, so I, I think, mean, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, well, I was just going to say, I think that maybe is a perfect moment to segue to our money win segment, uh, which is something you purchased, a quick tip, a way you spent and invested your money. So, Sandy, I don't know if you have one for us this week. I do. Yes, I was kind of, I was brainstorming a list of things, and I would say that. One of my most favorite purchases would be my instant pot. I don't know if you oh, guys have one. So into it, but you have to your next step is the air fryer. But tell us about why you love the instant pot. I love it too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah, have this. So, I'm excited. Oh my goodness, you gotta get on board. <laughs> so um my husband and I, um, yeah, we we bake um, you know, we we cook at home, like much every single day um you know we might go out to eat or now uber eats um once a week so we like to experiment with just different recipes and um yeah i i encouraged my husband to get an instant pot he was kind of reluctant because he didn't want another gadget in the kitchen uh but i was like no no like this is different like we have to have this and it's been absolutely life-changing i think we've had it about a year now and you can make healthy recipes and it's like this set it and forget it type of cooking method and you can just dump a whole bunch of ingredients and it just turns out amazing every single time like i've made stews i've made soups um like you can you can do so many things with it like all types of meat um everything so it's just like such a time saver and you don't have to worry about like overcooking it. Yeah, it's so, so good. And yeah, you can I make amazing bone broth in the Instant Pot. And the, yeah, it's Ooh. it's crazy that it's like, it basically cooks something that would take like 10 hours in a slow cooker, cooks it in like half an hour, but like it still preserves the complexity of the flavors. Um, so yes. Totally. Oh, because I was going to say like, how is this not a slow cooker? Because it's instant. It, versus slow it's instant yeah yeah it's it's instant <laughs> i actually i actually don't remember what yeah it's the dumbest thing i've said on this podcast <laughs> but okay. 
it's an instant I mean, slow I cooker. Like that moment. It actually makes sense. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's a good one. I'm going to look into it. Uh, Joanna, yeah. do you have yours? Yeah. So um, my RSPs, are, my retirement accounts are with Wealthsimple. And I got a very nice email from yes. somebody who apparently manages my portfolio at Wealthsimple. Yeah, because I think Wealthsimple is not a pure robo-advisor. There are actual people. So anyways, uh, he emailed and said, we're, we mm -hmm. want to set up a chat to make sure that we're on track with your goals and everything like that. So I spoke to him yesterday. And he was like, how are you doing? Obviously, there's been some dips. And I was like, no, I'm fine. Uh, he was like, yeah, I see you've been like <laughs> dumping a lot of money into here because I got my tax refund recently. And I was like, yep, I'm fine. Nice. It's good. You know, I uh, and he was like, honestly, it sounds like you would be happier if the markets did even worse in the next few years because you would just take advantage of the downturns and getting stocks at a discount. So we ended up um, ratcheting up my risk per profile from a five out of 10 to a seven out of 10. Um, Cause he was like, could you, could you stomach it? Could you sleep at night? If you saw your portfolio go down by 25, 30, 40%. And I was like, honestly, I think so, especially with RSPs because that is just money that I'm just like, I'm not touching that for 30 years minimum. So anyways, I felt, uh, I felt oddly like comforted, but also like a badass after that call. So that that is my money win for the week. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, amazing. Joanna, congratulations it. on moving to a seven risk. Yes. As you know, I do like to live dangerously. Yeah. Uh, my wealth simple's at a at a ten. I don't want to brag. I don't want to outdo you, but <laughs> excuse me. I got that high risk caller at Ah, <laughs> oh, baby uh, steps. I live on the edge. Okay, what's your um, money win? And by on the edge, I mean random profile. Okay, this is it. <laughs> Joanna and I see each other during the podcast. Um, I know, Joanna, you do not drink alcohol. Correct. I do. I am a wasp. So gin <laughs> makes up like 90% of my body. And what I'm holding <laughs> is a gin I recently discovered with my um, pandemic partner. She's a person we go for walks. We've been really supporting each other this whole time. She introduced me to the Isle of Harris gin. But where the money win comes in, uh, so I've been really enjoying that. And it's in a beautiful bottle. But the win comes in for anyone in Ontario that, and specifically in Toronto, the GTA, that if you do need some uh, LCBO supplies during this time, you have two really good options that I just want to make our listeners aware of. One is on the LCBO website, while deliveries, et cetera, have been delayed, obviously, the same day pickup option has been ramped up. There's five locations in the GTA such that you can place an order. You don't even go inside the store. You pull around. They have everything in a box for you. And you literally, you've prepaid for it. And you literally just get to take it from the car or from the LCBO into your car. You never go inside. Uh, so I think that's an excellent option. And the other one is Foodora, the app, has the LCBO on it. Oh, so you can also no, no, no. Deliver. So Joanna. Correction. Fudora, no, no. Fudora just left Canada because they had to comply with oh. union laws. And yeah, my, my retort to that is if <gasps> complying with labor laws means that your profits aren't satisfactory to you, you should probably leave Canada. So yeah, no, no longer Fudora. They are exiting oh, the market, sorry. but maybe no Uber Eats or uh, Ritual or DoorDash or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah the middleman then and i highly recommend for your lcbo needs if you have any uh that you use the same day pickup option that was a huge win 
And if you're a gym fan, I highly recommend Isle of Harris. Love it. Nice. A local GMT, very necessary. Yeah. Awesome. Well, All right. well Sandy, it's been yeah. such a pleasure to connect with you and hopefully uh, during happier times, we'll be able to uh, get a gin and tonic with Leslie and a non gin and tonic for me, um, as we're all Toronto locals. <laughs> but uh, in the meantime, it's really awesome to connect virtually. Yes, I've totally had a blast. It's been uh, so much fun being able to chat with you guys, and hopefully, your listeners been, have been able to learn something new. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, thank you for your expertise and thanks so much for your time. Signing off. Love right. and dividends. Thank you so much for having me. Stay well. With love and dividends. Thank you so much for listening to the Love and Dividends podcast. If you got value from this podcast, please share it with another woman who could benefit from the information that we shared. And please consider rating us and leaving us a review on iTunes. It really helps with new podcasts. If you have questions about finances and investing, have suggestions for future topics or guests, please let us know. You can shoot us a DM on Instagram, love and dividends, or you can send us an email at hello at loveanddividends.com. With love and dividends.